It is good to see you. I am not Steve Weens, so if you came expecting Steve Weens, who is a good friend of ours here, my name is Brad Jackson, the uh, senior pastor here. Uh, Late in the week this week, I got a text from Steve, and he at that point had been sick for about a week, and he simply said, it's not looking good, be prepared, Um, and then uh, found out he he has pneumonia, and uh, so Steve is not preaching, and uh, you get to see me for another week. And uh, so we're, we're going to do a standalone. We're going to jump back into this uh, Wired series next week. Um, but uh, I was thinking this last week. Earlier in the two things sort of were jumping in my mind. One is earlier in the week, um, it's been a busy season. And I got to this week. I'm not preaching. I have a little bit of free time. So um, I did what, what I sh- one of the things I should do, which is read. And I was reading a book called The King Jesus Gospel by Scott McKnight. Scott is a longtime teacher at North Park University, uh, our, uh, the Covenants University and Seminary, and is an amazing, amazing uh, thinker and theologian. So I was reading that, and, and it's, it's just it's an amazing, amazing uh, book. And then uh, this is almost right exactly at one year that I've been here, and both of those were sitting in my mind of, um, as, at the end of this week when I found out I was preaching. Um, what does that mean? What, what, what do we talk about? What do we sit with um, with those things in mind? I, I was thinking uh, via a couple of conversations I had this week. I, I think we've spent a year talking often about going out there and being the church. Like what does it look like when Crossview folks leave this room and we go into our normal everyday lives? What does it look like to go and be the church? And that is deeply important. But if it's only that, that can become just a new form of legalism in itself. Like I have the power to go and be the presence of Christ and we would never want that to be the message. Um, And so it hit me some thoughts around discipleship that at the end of the day, we've said it the last couple weeks, we have the same mission that the church had 2,000 years ago. We want to make disciples of Jesus Christ. People who have been wrecked by grace, who have turned from their sin, who have experienced forgiveness, who have found the goodness and leadership of all that Jesus is. The gospel is not some formula we put together. The gospel is a person according to the scriptures. It's the entirety of who Jesus is. We make disciples of Jesus. Um, But what does that mean then? What does it mean to be disciples who are truly transformed? Um, There's a great analogy I saw one time that the idea that the most important thing that the church does is discipleship. And if you took the image of a car and the engine, the engine would be discipleship. That again and again and again, we take the person, all of who Jesus is, and what we do is we just point to Jesus and we say, this is who Jesus is. This is who Jesus is. This is what that means in your life. This is what that means in your life. And that is becoming a follower of Jesus Christ. That we would become lifelong learners, lifelong people who are impacted by the grace and leadership and direction of all that Jesus is. And what mission is, that thing when we say, go out and be the church, mission should be a compelled deal that happens when we're becoming disciples of Jesus. It's not something we have to do. It's something we do because of who we are. So this morning, I want to talk about a passage and talk about the idea of discipleship. I'll use the word transformation often. My premise is this, and it's going to be on the screen, and I believe this in the core of who I am, that we are all becoming something. I think everybody in this room, whoever you are, whatever age you are, based on what you believe and and sort of your whole worldview, that whole thing, you are becoming something. And I think we become, 
Listen to this. I think we become what defines us. You could also say we become what we worship. Your mom said to you that you are what you eat. And I would say we are what we worship. We are what defines us. And so what I want to do, there's a reason there's a football up here. If this message goes bad, we're just going to play catch. So be ready. I'm going to throw it to you. Um, What if you had to take the things in your life that sort of define you and put them on this table? And I'm going to share some of the things that, that are for me. So for a long time and still to this day and growing up, sports has been a defining reality in my life. Not only has it defined me at times, it's, it's been something that I've worshipped. Um, it drives me, it brings out something in me that can be really good, but can also be really broken when it's the thing that defines me. I don't know about any of you, but I'm guessing in Western uh, culture this is probably true for you as well, but our wallets can define us, right? How much we have or don't have can often define who we are. This is a business card. They're not quite as prevalent as they used to be, but a business card, who I am, for me, who I am, the position I have, the stature I have, is often defined and often been the thing that I've worshipped. This is the heaviest book from my bookshelf. After this service, you're welcome to come up and, and sort of test it. It's a fairly heavy book. One of the things that defines me is how much I know. So if you walk into my office, you will see rows of big books, which I do use, but when they become the thing that define me, it's about what I know, and it's about letting you know how much I know, or I think I know might be a better way to put it. This is a picture of my family from, man, it has to be four or five years ago. It's absolutely awesome. Um, My girls can define me. What we do with them, what we pour into them, what we hope for them, where we drive them towards in their lives can often define me. I know this is not true of anybody else, but probably the biggest challenge in what I worship and what defines me is this thing right here. For those of you with a flip phone, this is a PDA phone. You can Google that after the service. But two things about this define me. One is my schedule. What I do, who I meet with, how busy I am can define, it can be the thing that I worship. The other piece is my contact list, who I know. And not only who I know, and I know none of you are like this as well, but who you know that I know. I want you to know the important names on my list of contacts because then you think I'm a big deal and that can be the thing that defines me. And we could put some other things up here as well, but if you had to put all of your stuff up here, what would it be? And here's the thing we don't talk about. This is my quasi-journal. I've tried journaling about 20 times. I get two pages in and quit. So this looks like a journal. What does a journal do? A journal hides our secrets. Probably for everybody in this room, there are hidden truths about you, hidden sin, hidden pain, hidden addiction. Last night I had a wedding for a a small group that I had led up in the Twin Cities and a group of 20-somethings all in the recovery community. And to listen to them talk about how addiction defined them for so long and then as they found God and for this group, how they found Christ, how that changed everything, our secrets can define us, right? Our pain, our sin, stories no one knows about. 
If you had to put your stuff on this table, what would it be? A person, a thing, a relationship, a job, a certain new teaching that you've sort of latched on to that is defining everything you do, a new idea, sin, pain, your schedule, your net worth. Listen to this one, what other people say about you. What defines who you are? The passage that was read so beautifully. Let me read again for us. Colossians 1, 28 and 29, it says, He is the one we proclaim. Colossians as a book is so beautiful in chapter one especially, but he is the one we proclaim. And just think about this. So these early groups of churches that Paul was interacting with, all they are doing is trying to follow what Jesus taught. So we find in Acts 2 that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They were trying to figure out as these little Jesus communities what life meant as followers of Jesus, as making disciples. So you could put that in. He is the one we proclaim. We are trying to make disciples, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. Now, fully mature just means simply what it says. It can be translated perfect. It can be translated maturity, but it's that idea of growing up. One of the things that we need to say again and again and again in the church is God loves you just as you are. Amen? But God also has a plan for your life. God wants to see you become the masterpiece that he created you to be. And then Paul says, to this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in, works in me. We'll come back to that, that at the end. But think about that phrase, fully mature in Christ. It's the whole point of the passage. I think it's the whole point of what Paul was all about. Fully mature in Christ. And if you've been around CrossFit, you know that the word Christ, it's not about the divinity of Jesus. Christ is a term that was used in the first century about kingship. They used it for Caesar. So fully mature in this king, Jesus, is what Paul is saying. And in Colossians 1, Paul is named everything about Jesus. That Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, that Jesus is above all, he's in all, he's the head of the church, he's reconciling all things to himself. What Paul is saying to this group of believers is, I am calling you in king, becoming mature in King Jesus, is that you reorient everything, everything in King Jesus, not Caesar. That you reorient everything. That's transformation, that all of who we are is submitted, reoriented around Jesus Christ. And here's the challenge. I think for a lot of us in this room, when we think about following Jesus, when we think about becoming a disciple, when we think about transformation, we have this idea that God wants to exchange us for a better version of something. Like we're a car and God's not quite happy with us. Maybe we're breaking down and he's going to exchange us for a better version. Here's the beauty of the gospel. Here's the beauty of transformation. God loved you just as you are. And just like reworking an antique piece of furniture where you scrape away the paint and you make it into the beautiful thing that it was intended to be, that's what God wants to do with you. That everything we're about here at Crossview is helping you become the person that God made you to be. 
Philip Toynbee, who was a reviewer, a writer, and, and someone who struggled after truth, said this. I call myself a Christian because I discern in the New Testament a man whose life, death, and central teaching penetrates more deeply into the mysterious realities of our condition than anyone or anything else has ever done. In the Gospels, Acts, and the Epistles, I find a total view of what man is or what man could be and ought to be, which evokes a response in me such as no other writings have ever done the point of transformation is that the truth of the gospel, the truth of Jesus is so true that when we interact with it, it has to change us. It has to do something in us. That's why Paul said in Galatians 4, he said, My dear friends for whom I am in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. The most important thing is that we become who Christ intended us to be. That's what the gospel is all about. Think about this. As Christ is formed in you, which is what the text is talking about, then everything else begins to make sense. As Christ is formed in you, as he becomes the king and forgiver and everything in your life that, that is intended to be, then everything else in your life will make sense. All of this can make sense if it's submitted to all that Jesus is. Transformation is finding and placing all of your identity in Jesus Christ. Listen to Paul earlier in Colossians 1 talking about who Jesus is. And he, and Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. And listen to this so that in everything he might have supremacy. So that in everything he might have. That's one of those lines in scripture, if you have your Bibles open, underline it. In everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself, what? All things. All things. God doesn't look down at you. God does not look down at his creation, angry at it, ready to throw it away. God looks down at his creation. God, the one who came into creation, and the goal of that was to reconcile, to make right, not to get rid of, not to exchange, to make right all things. That's the posture of God towards you. That's the posture of God towards all that God has created. But the challenge is this idea of kingship, this Christ word, what does it mean to bring everything under the supremacy of Jesus Christ? We said it before, but in Christ, in the first century, when they heard that, they knew what it meant. Because who they were, what they had, their life, their job, their status in society, everything about them was dependent on Caesar as king, Caesar as Christ. What Paul is saying, it's now dependent on the fact that Jesus is king. And that changes everything. That he would be supreme in all things. When I was growing up and we would talk through making priorities and trying to get your, your life with God sort of in order, we, we would often do this, this practice where you would make a list. You would put your priorities. Anybody ever done that? So what goes number one? God, right? I mean, we're in church, guys. God has to be number one on our priority list. 
And then everything would fall in line, like God, then your spouse, then your kids, then your job, then, you know, and you'd go down and down. And the problem with that is it just doesn't work. Like sometimes my job has to be more important than my family, or at least has to move up the list. Sometimes church is in this place, and then family's in this place, and then, you know, friendships are in this place. I think a better way to think about it is exactly what this text is saying, is that the goal of transformation, the goal of what Jesus is talking about, the goal of the gospel wrecking your life, grace coming into your life, is that all of this, all of this, the whole of your life would be submitted, reoriented, brought under the leadership. We're in the 21st century, so Jesus is CEO, Jesus is president, Jesus leading every area of your life. Pascal put it this way. He said, not only do we only know God through Jesus Christ, but we only know ourselves through Christ. Not a profound statement. You think about it. I, I go to a lot of other places to try and figure out who I am. I go to a lot of other places. I go to places of power and brokenness and pride and sin. If you're new to CrossView, I mean, just ask the question, what if, what if Jesus is the only place that you could truly understand your life? through his grace and forgiveness and leader. What, what if? Pascal goes on to say, we only know life and death through Jesus Christ. Apart from Jesus, we cannot know the meaning of our life or our death, of God or ourselves. So as I think about us heading into year two of, of my being here, as I think about 125 years of Crossview being around, as I think about Pentecost Sunday, this Sunday in the church calendar is where we celebrate the birthday of the church that 2,000 years ago, the crazy idea that God had that the church would be his place to redeem creation. As I think about all of that and I think about us moving forward, what if we did this? What if you got serious about Jesus being the one who truly defined all that you are, everything. Your marriage, your relationships, how you view your enemies, your job, your work, your school, your sport. There's two words that often jump into my mind. Is it, this is, just to say, this is the biggest challenge in my life. But it's the greatest joy. It's the biggest challenge, the greatest joy. Two words that come to me time and time again. One is forgiveness. When I think about all that Jesus is, one is forgiveness. When I try and bring the whole of my life under the leadership of Jesus Christ, often I have to come to Jesus to repent of the broken places, to repent of the things that are in here, to repent of worshiping this and this and this, to know that only true forgiveness comes through Jesus Christ. The second piece that is sometimes more challenging is this. What does the leadership of Jesus Christ look like in this paradigm? Like if Jesus is really the leader of all of this, what does that mean? 
how do I live that out if, if that's true? If, if Jesus wants to redeem and reorient and, and have all of that fall under his leadership. And I know that when it does, really good things happen. But how do we enter into that? In the first century, it was if Jesus is king, then Caesar is not. In the 21st century, it still starts the same way. If Jesus is king, then how do I see this? What other kings get in the way? The king of power, the king of consumerism, the king of wanting to be seen, the king of wanting to be liked. What gets in the way? What if our job, our families, our hobbies, our friendships, all of this were submitted to the loving leadership of Jesus Christ? On a real practical level, I, this, this would be the type of thing if we walked away with just sort of big picture ideas of, wow, that's a really good idea, but I don't know what to do with that. One question, what is one area in your life that you have not submitted to the leadership of Jesus Christ? One area. For some of you, it may be as simple as saying, do you know the king that well? I have a friend who shortly after he came to Christ started to understand that following Jesus, the gospel was more than just saying a prayer. It was his whole life coming under the leadership of Jesus. So what he did is he took his Bible and he found one of the red letter Bibles and he went through the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And all of the red letter words of Jesus, he took out a journal and he wrote them down. But he said, if Jesus is gonna lead all of this, then I need to get to know the king. So for some of you, you know the king and it's just, there, there's an area where it's like, oh, I don't know if I can go there. For others, get to know Jesus. Live in the gospels for the summer. Go to the gospel of John and read it once a month through the summer. What if Jesus truly were transforming, leading, supreme in every area of your life? We're all becoming something. Everybody in here right now, as you walk out this door next week, you are becoming something. And I believe you're becoming who's leading you. I pray that as a community, we submit to the leadership of Jesus Christ. Paul said it in Colossians 2. So then, just as you, as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up, strengthened in the faith, as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. This takes purposeful, intentional, resolute living under the grace of Jesus Christ. That's why Paul ended in verse 29 saying, to this end, becoming mature in Christ, to this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. This takes really good hard work that can only flow from the grace of Jesus Christ. Father, Lord, for any that would be here this morning who are wondering who you are, God, I pray that they would see a beautiful story of a God who came and died for our sins and rose again so that we can have this type of life. Lord, I pray that they would turn to you and trust you
And for the rest of us, God, we sort of need the same story day in, day out. To be reminded of your goodness and grace, to know more about who you are and what it looks like for your grace and leadership to lead, to influence, to drive, to compel our lives. Teach us how to have you as the king of everything, God. To maybe turn over that one area that we're holding back. To maybe commit to finding out who you are. Lead us. By your grace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Amen.